Hey! You're listening to Talk of Shame, a Wamina production supported by our sponsor, BetterHelp. I'm your host, Alia Moro. I'm an Egyptian-born, London-raised freelance journalist and author of the best-selling non-fiction book, The Greater Freedom. Having felt the impacts of shame, or Arab, as Arabs like to call it, on many aspects of my life, I've become pretty obsessed with the concept and the question of how we can rid ourselves from it. Throughout the season, I dig deeper into shame with the help of some brilliant guests. Shame breeds shame, so we gotta talk about it. Shame. Does toxic culture facilitate rape culture? Rape culture. Rape culture. Rape, rape culture. culture. Wow, wow, wow. That's a really big question. Um, um, For sure, society definitely has a strong play on rape culture between men to women. You know, I think rape culture is a direct and probably inevitable result of the culture of toxic masculinity. Society's funneling of a mindset where we're told that a man is more dominant than a woman and it's very strong in culture, especially within the Middle East and also globally as well. Look at how many boys grow up being encouraged to express themselves physically and praised for showing aggression and dominance and then shamed for being less than what we consider an alpha male. How can we be surprised when so much of that is expressed later through sexual violence? Men especially are procured to be able to get what they want and when they can get what they want, there's no holding back and they think that a woman's lesser so they think they can get what they want. That's not to mention the part of toxic boyhood that affects little girls and the fact that we're telling girls from a very young age that their beauty is what gives them value and their sweetness is what makes them acceptable. The lack of reporting of rapes and the amount of times that rape is not seen as rape because the victim feels that she was too drunk or she was dressed too sleazily. I think that it aids in the lack of accountability that we have for those that perpetrate sexual assault and even the normalization of sexual assault. Sometimes it can be self-shame that really does facilitate the rape culture as much as the fear of what people will say if we do report rape. When there is no accountability and no respect, then justice needs to be carried out. And very often that fails and allows the same pattern of behavior to repeat itself. One in four women report they've been sexually assaulted, so think of how many don't report, meaning the number is even higher. Yet with numbers this high, people don't stop to think that they likely have people in their community that they know who have also been the perpetrator. These things are coded into us from the very beginning, and they will continue to be unless we treat children differently and stop accepting that men are just the way they are because they're dudes and we shouldn't expect them to have moral or emotional accountability. Shame breeds shame. And in doing so, it creates an environment of silence, one where when shit goes wrong, as it does, it makes it so much harder to speak up, seek help, or sometimes even know. It also contributes to creating that unsafe environment in the first place. I was so ashamed. I was ashamed of myself because how did I, the loudest person who's fighting the patriarchy every day, how did I get here? 
There was no like, he should be ashamed. My thoughts were always, I should be ashamed. Someone's doing something wrong to me and I was the one that felt shame. That's Salma Al-Wardani, a writer, poet, presenter, and one of my very favorite outspoken human beings. In this week's episode, we discuss how shame fosters a toxic culture, one which lends itself to victim blaming, rape culture, and more. Salma kicks us off by telling us what she thinks about when she hears the word shame. Shame breeds shame. Let's talk about it. When I think of shame or I hear the word shame, I also think of control. And I think those two things go hand in hand with one another. Shame is a controlling mechanism. It keeps people in very particular places with very particular sets of behaviours. And it, it just blankets over everything. It's like this grey fog that just comes down. And I think of not being able to move and not being able to do anything. And shame is debilitating. You can't do anything with it. You can't move. And that's the control. That's where the control aspect comes in. So shame and control for me are so intertwined. Yeah. So much of that shame is leveled at women. And it's sort of a way for us to become responsible for our own behaviors and for the things that happen to us, it's sort of made to seem like it's our fault. And had we, you know, dressed a certain way or had we behaved a certain way, then that thing wouldn't have happened to us. Right. Exactly. And we never hear the phrase, you should be ashamed of yourself to men. Like they can do the worst things and no one ever points a finger and cries shame. But, you know, your your skirt is a little too high, your voice a little too loud, and suddenly all the fingers are pointed at you. And as a woman, your scream, shame, 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 shame. It is such a gendered word. And I don't know, maybe we should just start pointing fingers at men and asking them to be ashamed of themselves. But they don't have the same cognitive reaction to it because it hasn't been part of their DNA and their habitat and their breeding for all of their lives in the way it has mm. been for women. So I could turn around to a woman and go, oh my God, you should be ashamed. Like, are you not embarrassed? And she would just crumble into the floor nine times out of 10. I could turn around to a guy and be like, for shame, are you embarrassed? And they'd be like, no, why? (laughs) Why would I be? They would genuinely be confused. I don't understand the question. And do you think that's because of like the messaging that we receive? I think, you know, as women from such a young age, we're made to feel ashamed about our bodies, how we're sitting, how we're carrying ourselves, our periods even. You know, there's so little conversation around all of these things. And I don't think that men get told these things at all when they're growing up. I I don't think there's anything that they're told is shameful. Right. And we have to think about shame and how it manifests and the power that comes with that because the person who cries shame is generally the person that has the power and we talk about like women being ashamed or embarrassed and men not but we talk about it in these really abstract terms but actually you have to recognize and acknowledge that men have used shame as a controlling mechanism on women like Mm -hmm. there are half the population is using it and half the population is having it used against them. That half of the population is men. It's not like shame came out of like the environment when we were kids and like it came from men. Men used it to control women, right? Like way back in ye olde times, right? In Victorian eras, it was used 
when a woman was overly emotional, right? It was used by a guy that like, she was hysterical. You should be ashamed. Pull yourself together and like sh- people will notice that you're not ashamed, yeah. right? But a man said that to a woman because he didn't want to deal with her emotions. <laughs> and he didn't feel like he had to. And he was probably a Victorian fuckboy, right? Mm. Like, and he didn't feel like he, he had to. So he took this mechanism and he used it over a woman. Men have been using it over women. Like there's, there are people who are directly responsible. It wasn't like built out of the natural environment. Shame is just one of the tools in their massive toolbox that they pull out when they think a woman is being too much, too out there, too hysterical. And shame is such a good tool because it actually makes us, like you said, it's debilitating. Mm. So it's almost like you just throw the shame everywhere and then we're going to just shame ourselves and control our own behavior. You don't even need to be pulling the strings anymore because you've blanketed this shame that we feel inherently inside us from such a young age. I mean, it's an amazing weapon, right? If you've got that at your disposal and you want someone to do something, yeah, like use that, right? Because in like marketing, for example, every marketer uses seven different emotions to sell a product or a service. It can be, and fear is one of them. And everyone unanimously in marketing agrees that fear is the most effective emotion to use to sell something, right? Mm. And it's exactly the same when you want to control someone, right? Or you want things to go your way, or you don't want arguments or kind of any kickback or friction. You use shame. And there's a lot of fear in that. That fear people will find out, fear people will know, fear that someone is going to be wise to what's going on. And suddenly it's your problem, right? It's so, so effective. And when you pick it apart and you peel apart the layers, it's absurd. Because actually, the person generally in that dynamic that should feel ashamed is the man. But they effectively turned it and leveled it at women. It's incredible in what you can get a woman to do if you make her feel shame. And also how much you then give as a man yourself space to behave badly because it's never your fault it's never on you it's almost like you can't help it you know you can't even help yourself that's the sort of messaging that we've been fed from such a young age it's so effective it's like so incredibly effective it's a free pass for guys and the other thing about shame is that no one is immune from it there's no woman who is immune from shame. Mm. You can be the strongest, loudest, most vocal feminist, kicking down the patriarchy every day of your life. You are still not immune from shame. You're still not immune to being caught in the jaws of shame and some man leveling it against you because there is always a weak underbelly. There is always a weak spot because we too are products of our environment. And it's been there in some level, some aspect, and we've, we've tried to fight against it and we've tried to peel it apart and take it out of us. But it's there. It's still there. There's residues even, right? You can try and get better at resisting it and becoming more immune to it. But no one is is completely immune to it. No, and I feel like it's double-pronged because there's the shame that comes from the messages that we receive in terms of the things that are explicitly told. And then there's the shame that comes from the lack of conversation. So, you know, growing up, I definitely didn't have any conversation in my house about my period even, and definitely not about sex. Like that was just not something that we spoke about at all. 
And, you know, I wrote about this in my book when I, I lost my virginity quite young. I hate that term, even lost my virginity, but whatever, we don't have an alternative. Pretty young. And, and you know, I think about it quite often because he was a douchebag, like top douche. I literally called him Satan in my book. And I think often, like, would that have happened had I had been able to have these conversations in my house? And I genuinely think... No, I genuinely think that I would have been better equipped to make good decisions had that been a sort of world that I existed in rather than that everything is wrong. So if everything's wrong, then what is right? You know what I mean? Like it's so much more difficult to make decisions in that. Yeah, because along with shame comes silence, right? And in that silence breeds so much bad and toxic behavior, right? Mm. And that's part of it as well, because you don't want anyone to find out because you're ashamed. So you keep quiet. They all feed into each other, right? Like I, when I was in an abusive relationship with this, this guy who was also a Satan, um, <laughs> you know, the things that he would say would be like, you know, people talk about their relationships all the time and they're so free with it and they don't protect their relationship. Mm. This is about me and you, you know, and do you care about us? Do you have respect for us? Then you protect it. If there's something that you love, you protect it. And I'd be like, yes, need to protect this and be above all of this foolish gossip that women do together about their men. I am a I feel like I can see where this is going. That's what happens. And that's what he would say to me. And I'd be like, yes. So what that does is, like you said, it gives him a free pass because every time he does some fuck shit in the relationship, I don't tell my friends because I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not sullying our relationship with all of this tittle tattle. I'm gonna protect it and respect our love so I don't tell anyone and it's really really important to have your girlfriends there because they are your mirrors they are the ones that are going to turn around to you and go that's not okay Mm -hmm. that's how you slowly decline into abusive patterns and abusive behaviors and by the time you are in the throes of an abusive relationship like I was I was too goddamn embarrassed and ashamed Mm. and I recognized at the time that I was in an abusive relationship. I knew I was. And there was no way I could turn around to my girlfriends and be like, hey, I'm in an abusive relationship because I was so ashamed. I was ashamed of myself because how did I, the loudest person who's fighting the patriarchy every day, how did I get here? Not Mm. shame because of him and his fault. And there was no, like, he should be ashamed. My thoughts were always, I should be ashamed. Someone's doing something wrong to me. And I was the one that felt shame. And I couldn't talk about it. And I couldn't say it because it was too far past the point. And eventually the first person I told was a male friend, not even my girlfriend. Wow. He was the one I could say it out loud to. I couldn't, I still couldn't say it to my girlfriends. And I don't know why, maybe because he was removed, maybe because he wasn't Mm -hmm. a female friend who I'd spoken to day in and day out. And obviously they ask about your relationship and you're like, yeah, it's fine. Everything's great. He bought me this present and it was amazing and like organized this for my birthday. And, and, you know, they see all of the highlights, right? But he hadn't seen any of the highlights and he probably had an idea that it was clapped because Mm -hmm. he had watched me 
fade him out of my life, right? So that's what silence does. It keeps everything quiet and hidden and shame. I don't know. It's like a compost breeding ground for, for silence, right? And it really isolates you, like you said, from your friends or from anyone who might be able to help you or help you see another way or just anything. My Satan told me the same things. Don't tell anyone. Da, da, da. And actually it turned out he had been cheating on me with so many, so many, so many people. Like I don't even know how he had time. And he basically wanted me to not say anything because if people know, then they're going to be like, oh, but I saw him with this girl. Oh, but I saw him with that girl. Mm-hmm. And I was made to feel so ashamed of so many things that I just completely kept my mouth shut to the extent that I was left to fend for myself in the jungle. Yeah, and this is it. If a man ever says, let's keep this private, you make sure that you stand on every rooftop you can (laughs) how you are sleeping with this man. Let's see who answers the call. The thing is, the messages, we receive them from such a young age. Mm. So it's like, you're wrong for even having a boyfriend. You're wrong for even having sex in the first place. So Mm -hmm. that is so easily weaponized Mm -hmm. because you're not meant to be doing this anyway. Right, exactly. So you're just a bad person, whichever way you look at it. So you don't say anything and you Mm -hmm. are riddled with shame. We saw that recently in, you know, Egypt in the so-called Me Too movement that was happening last year with ABZ. And, you know, it turned out that he had basically been blackmailing all of these girls and saying, you know, if I already have this photo of you or I'm going to tell people this. And he used the shame to get them to keep doing whatever it was that he wanted them to do, knowing that he basically already had something on them. Yeah. And how effective was that, right? How many women in that case had he abused and assaulted and blackmailed and held their honour and their dignity in the community over them as a weapon? Like, it's remarkable. And this is the thing, right? Because guys will be like, I'm one of the good guys and I would never do anything like that. Okay, meshy. But you still use shame against other women and you allow for people like ABZ to do awful things, right? So we're all interconnected in this and you're part of it. And there's other guys who, yeah, they haven't done heinous acts, but they still keep that silence intact, right? Well, I guess because we've we've all bought into these messages as well. So there's so much work that needs to be done in order to debunk and to like stop with the victim blaming. And it's by no means something that's limited to the Middle East. Of course, it plays out differently there. But we see that in all cultures, you know, the victim blaming is so, so rife. You know, I imagine that it would even make it much more difficult to come forward when these things happen, to speak to your family about it, let alone go and report it to the police. Right. And this is all tied up in in conversations around consent, right? Because maybe you were talking to a guy and initially you liked him and there was flirtation and there was chemistry. And maybe you did send a picture. Maybe it was a picture of you with your hair out and your cleavage in full show. And maybe it was a bit provocative. And then maybe the next week you realised he was an absolute ass. Mm. Maybe you realised that actually, no, I don't consent to this flirtation anymore, Right. But now this person has a picture of you that makes you look bad in the community and you didn't really do anything wrong, but no one will understand that and everyone will take his side. So you go down that journey of blackmail with this person and it's because no one will look at that picture 
and look at the fact that you sent it once at this week, but the next week you no longer wanted to do that. And no one goes, well, that's okay. Everyone goes, well, you did it. So obviously you wanted it. So what's your problem? So obviously you're a whore. You know, that's the thought process. And again, like all of this is interconnected. We can't be talking about shame if we're not talking about silence. And we can't be talking about consent if we're not talking about being able to talk about things and silence and shame, right? They're, they're all so interwoven with one another. I had such an interesting conversation with a guy, friend of mine, the other month. And I guess it must have come off the back of I May Destroy You. And that obviously raised so many amazing conversations around consent. And he was basically saying how, you know, especially as a teenager or as a younger man, there's this sort of like fight is the wrong word, but there's this kind of like, let me rephrase this, because we are taught from such a young age as women that we're not meant to be sexual and that being sexual is bad and that we're whores if we're sexual and it's all about the guy and what the guy wants and we're removed from the equation, right? Because of that, there's a lot of shame around even getting into bed with a guy. So I remember even me and a lot of my girlfriends, it would almost be like they'd have to convince us but I want to, I'm down, my consent is there, but I have to like pretend that I don't want to because if it's obvious that I really want to, then I'm a whore, right? So there's this kind of like push and pull that we do, I think, especially when we're younger, of pretending like we don't want to, but really we do. And then they kind of like pull your knickers down a bit and then you're like, oh no, no, but you actually want them to. So that in itself completely blurs the lines of consent because if I have to pretend like I don't want to, even when I do, because otherwise I'm shamed for being a whore, then what does that mean? You know what I mean? 100%, right? And like, again, this is part of it. This feeds into that web of everything that's tangled up with one another. If we can't have healthy conversations with women about their sexual needs from a young age, and if we can't start teaching them about their bodies, then how do we even get to a stage where we're like, you can do what you like and we can talk about consent and it's really healthy and it's okay. But again, this isn't just a tiny problem. It's part of every aspect of our society. Medicine won't even research women's sexuality properly. You know, there was that article last year about how many medical studies and how many medical papers have been written about the penis and the male orgasm. And in comparison, how many papers have been written about the clitoris and female pleasure and female orgasm? Mm. The disparity, it was like 200 papers for women and like 45,000 for men. Wow. Massive, right? And it's like, well, the medical community, medicine won't even research and acknowledge a woman's right to pleasure. They won't even look into our organs properly because we're a woman, right? We can't even get that. So yeah, of course I can't even sit around and talk to my mom and be like, hey, I want to talk about orgasms. You know, my mom never said, Summer, when you have sex, you should have an orgasm. And if that person Mm. isn't making you climax, that's not okay. Oh my God, as if that would be a conversation. No, I mean, my mom told me about periods and like told me what to do and how to like put a pad on, right? Like that's, I remember that demonstration. And, you know, she told me about sex, but like from a very 
mechanical standpoint, like this is what happens and this is how a baby's made, right? But no one sat down and said, this is where pleasure comes from. And if you rub your clit in this way, then you're going to have a great time. You know, we find it out on problematic YouTube videos and porn sites that feed us the information that our bodies are to be used by men and that sex happens Mm -hmm. to us and not for us, right? And that we're like supposed to be in pain, you know? Everyone, all the women on porn, so many of them really don't look like they're enjoying it. No, because they are in physical pain because whatever those guys are doing is not for the woman's pleasure it's for the man let's pause the conversation here for some words from our sponsor BetterHelp with BetterHelp you can start prioritizing your mental health and living a more balanced life today it's not always easy to find a therapist you're comfortable with and the journey can make the idea of therapy scary for some BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches they also make it easy and free to change counselors if needed The service is available for clients worldwide, and there is a broad range of expertise which may not be locally available in many areas. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counselling done securely online. As a Talk of Shame listener, you get 10% off your first month with BetterHelp.com. That's better, H-E-L-P. Use promo code TALKOFSHAME and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Back to the conversation. So the first time my mom spoke to me about sex, I had already had sex. So that was too late. And she literally said to me, don't have sex until you're married or he'll think you're a whore and he'll never love you. Right. Like, what the fuck? It's over for you. No, you will not be loved because the thing that makes you lovable is gone. You lost it. You didn't give it away, by the way. You lost it because you lost your virginity, right? You lost it. The same way you lost the car keys or whatever. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You weren't being responsible enough. Yeah, you're an irresponsible person. So now you're unlovable. You will not be married and loved. And what kind of, so I saw in in a piece for Galdem, you were quoted as saying that had you been able to have honest conversations with your mother, you wouldn't have found yourself in a dangerous relationship with an abusive man. Yeah. What do you think would have been different had you been able to speak openly? And, you know, obviously we've been joking about it, but what is the importance of having these kinds of conversations in the house from a young age? I think if you can have those conversations from a young age, you build different women. Fundamentally, you build a different kind of woman. You build a woman who knows what her rights are. You build a woman who knows that when someone does X, Y, Z, it's not acceptable. Mm -hmm. When someone isn't taking into account your pleasure or your needs even, they're not caring for you in the right way. You build a woman who grows up understanding what her worth is, right? If I hadn't been so afraid to have conversations with my mum about sex or wanting to be with men, which was a natural want that I had right? When I was a young woman and I was, God, I was horny. I was, I was someone who was in touch with my body and wanted it to be touched, right? If I'd been able to have those conversations, less things would have happened in the shadows. And when things happen in the shadows, there is danger because if anything goes wrong, you can't call for help. Hmm. So when things were starting to go wrong in my life and with this abusive guy, I couldn't call for help. 
because everything was in the shadows, right? And you just raise women who will be able to put their hands up and say something's happening. And I don't know if it's the right thing that's happening. You know, I wish someone had said to me, hey, if a guy is having sex with you and you never come, he's not a great guy. No, there's a problem. And I am genuinely making it that stark. If you're with a man who's not sexually gratifying you, and not trying, by the way, and I don't mean like learning each other's bodies and learning what the partner likes and going on that journey together and talking about it. No, like he might take X amount of months to figure it out for you. And that's fine as long as you're, you're on that journey together, right? I'm talking about a man who just will pound you and then cuddle you afterwards and you'll think it's great, right? I wish someone had said, those men, they're not good guys because they're not. We go, oh, well, that's a little harsh. No. Why don't we just start telling women that men who have sex with you and don't make you come or try to make you come are not good men. They're the bad guy. Well, they don't give a shit about you. They literally no. are not even thinking of you. You could be any vessel. Exactly. They're just masturbating into you. Oh, my God. But they are. That's all you are. You're a human fleshlight. Wow. That's it. And if they cannot care for your body and the sacredness of your body, and treat your body right when they have it in their hands, which, by the way, takes enormous trust for a woman to physically put her body in a man's hands. That is no small thing. Let's stop treating it like it's a small thing. It's a huge thing. I've given you physically myself. You could do anything to me because I recognize that 99.9% .9 of the time, that man is stronger than me. Mm. Very vulnerable very protected space. So it is a massive honor and it is a huge measure of trust for a woman to do that. Let's start talking about it like that. So if you do not understand the sanctity of that and the sacredness of that, you don't have a care for me as a human. If you cannot care for me in the sheets, where else are you going to care for me? That is so sacred. You can't do it there. What the hell do you think you're doing any other day of the week, mate? God, Salma, honestly, you just gave me goosebumps. Like, I wish that these were the sort of conversations that we were having because it's not about us at all. Like, we're just not involved in the conversation at any point of it. Right. Now we're excluded from the conversation and it's about us. So it makes no sense. And when you're excluded from a conversation about you, your autonomy is taken away. Your right mm. to choose and your right to make better decisions is taken away. And you are then peer pressured down these paths. All, I swear to God, being a woman sometimes is just a life of peer pressure from various avenues. That's it. That's all it feels like sometimes. And we need to break that cycle. We need mums to sit and talk to their daughters and say, hey, this is what is supposed to happen. And I don't mean that just sexually. This isn't just about sex, but I do recognize that sex is a massive part of it. And if you as a woman can say, hey, a little bit to the left, or can you do it like this? Or if you can put your hand up in bed and say, this is what I like and this is what I need, I swear you can put your hand up in any other boardroom, situation, meeting, anything. You can put your hand up in life a lot better because you have that confidence in yourself. So yes, we need women and mothers to sit down and say, look, this 
sexually is what's supposed to happen. And this when you're dating is what's supposed to happen. And this when you're in work and a man speaks to you like this is what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to turn around and say something. You're supposed to point a finger at that man and say, shame, shame. You're not supposed to giggle and laugh and try and brush it off because you're nervous because you don't know what's going to happen. And single dads should be getting the women in their life to have these conversations with their kids. You know, teachers should be having these conversations. It should be embedded in the curriculum. We need to have them like community leaders as well in like mosques need to be having these conversations. Imams should be having them with boys and whoever runs the study circle or the halakha should be having it with the young girls. We shouldn't be saying, no, haram, aib, aib. Aib, like aib can kill us. Aib can erode us. And aib ruined us, by the way. It ruined our generation because we saw anything. We saw two people kissing in a movie and what happened? Someone switched the channel and said aib. Right. So then what does that tell you? It tells you that you don't know what a healthy, loving relationship looks like. It teaches the boys that actually it's just about sex and it's not about hand holding and touching and cuddling and kissing and all the things that are foreplay that are just the foundation of intimacy between two humans. I ruined relationships. Like, how many times did you see your parents cuddling or kissing? Never. In the street, kissing each other hello on the lips. I want to see healthy forms of intimacy and passion and want between people. I want to see a, a guy kiss his wife on the forehead, kiss his girlfriend on the forehead, kiss whoever on the forehead. Like, I want there to be that care and that intimacy displayed. Because we, we didn't see that. It was nowhere. I didn't see anyone in my Muslim communities. And what's so interesting, especially in that Middle Eastern culture, is we cannot stop touching each other. Like, yeah. we cannot. The guys... We'll literally walk down the street with their arms around each other as mates. We wouldn't do that. Like the lads out on the town in London aren't doing that, right? No, it's so true. Someone tells a joke. Like, let's say we've all been sitting down for dinner for four hours. Like we've said our hellos. Someone tells a joke. What happens in Egypt? Everyone like slaps hands around the whole circle. Like we can't laugh without touching each other, right? And like when we say hello in our cultures, we kiss on the cheek. Like depending on which country you're from, either twice or four times or three. Yeah. I don't see my, my English mates that we kiss on the cheek three times. No way. We don't do that. We don't have that face-to-face closeness. But in our culture, in Egypt, in Middle Eastern culture, we cannot stop touching each other platonically. Mm. And we don't have the same boundaries English people have. You know, we have a closeness. Yet the minute romance is applied between unwed or wed people, it's like part of the Red Sea. It's like aib. It's like haram. Never touch. And I'm like, this is the person that you like. You've married. Like you're supposed to be allowed to touch more than anyone else. Yeah, no, you're so right. And it really does just make it all seem really seedy and like really gross and just like as if you're doing something really dirty. Oh. And then how is anyone supposed to have any kind of healthy? relationship to their bodies or to their sexualities or to any of that sex is for sure where it mostly plays out but even beyond all of that there's this attitude that it's our responsibility so you know domestic abuse your fault your husband cheating on you what have you done and from our houses from our families from our mothers the burden is placed very much on us. And, you know, I feel really sad because I feel very like so many of our mothers 
just felt like this was just the way that it needed to be because it's sort of like um like a privilege adjacent thing of like oh if you can just get in good with the men then that's your best chance at getting through this life unscathed and it's 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 so wild that you're still kind of putting yourself at the hands of someone else rather than being like this privilege adjacent shit that you're giving me is actually very little and it's just not quite good enough. Exactly. And that's the thing. If we can start talking, if we can break the silence, if we can break this idea of shame, if we can put this idea of shame in the bin, we can change the fabric of our society and how we operate. We can change how healthy people have relationships. We can change the amount of broken hearts. We honestly can. Mm. And I think about shame and I think, when is there a valid, valid opportunity or point to say shame to someone? I don't. When is it? Well, I, I don't. I don't know. Neither do I. Like I, I'm trying to think of all the scenarios. When is it appropriate? And I think, nope. I don't know when it is. I, I don't know if it's appropriate to say shame to someone. I think it's appropriate if you've like hurt someone or if you've broken a heart or you've purposefully acted like maliciously right then shame on you for shame but all the time we actually use it is not the right time ever 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 like why is it shameful to wear a short skirt or you know why is it shameful to go to a guy's room like whatever it might be we are allowed to like make the choices to do those things and whatever happens off the back of that is not our fault right and i think maybe if we're going to use shame then we have to switch it right so if a woman walks out in a short skirt and then some guys like heckle or catcall her for shame on the guys for doing that. Yeah. If a, a woman tries to have a conversation about sex and it gets shut down, for shame on the people who shut that down. Shame on you. You know, let's switch it around because that's the right time to use it. It's not the other way. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, what's so sad is the feelings that we can then have about ourselves and about the things that have happened to us or... You know, just all of these things, we end up feeling really shit about ourselves. And that is such a horrible, horrible burden to carry when it's not ours to carry. Exactly. And we need need to put that down because, you know, women have been heavy lifting for far too long and we're supposed to be the weaker sex, you know. (laughs) Yeah, for real. So to like finish, I know we've spoken a lot about the importance of speaking out and stuff, but... How do we sort of go about as individuals and as communities to sort of break down the shame and the fact that it's so often leveled at the wrong people, at the wrong times? How do we go about sort of debunking that and and, and changing the messaging around all of this? I think there's a certain amount you can do as an individual, but I think the majority of the work needs to be done on a community, on a societal level, because as an individual, you can be adamant about talking about sex and talking about the things that you want and being really vocal about it. But at the end of the day, you're just the loud, confident person who has no boundaries. Mm. Whilst that gives other people permission to start talking up, that's great. But all those other individuals still have to fight society. So that's a fight community, right? So actually, we need to change things on a, on a community level. And I think there needs to be 
people who are having these conversations in very different ways. We need to change sex ed completely in the curriculum. It needs to be a massively different conversation. We need to educate boys about periods, not just the girls, because they need to know how it works as well. In communities, we need there to be the people who run the halakas and the imams who run whatever Arabic schools and all of those people, those respected leaders in the community, of which there always is them. They're, they're, they're there. We all know who they are. We all know who the aunties and the uncles were, who, who were the leaders in the community. They need to be having little halakas with young men and women about these conversations. They need to be having them without embarrassment or fear or whatever it is that holds them back they need to be having those I don't know if you follow the village auntie on Instagram yes she's so great she's a prime example of people like that in the community you know like the mosque should have on its notice board for young 18 year olds the guys session and the girls session if you will and have people that talk openly about sex and their responsibility and do you know not just don't have sex until you're married that's not a lesson yeah. That's a whipping stick. We don't need whipping sticks. We need lessons. You know, if you see that and that's part of the conversation and your older brother goes, I'm going to my learning to be with someone session. And that encompasses everything from emotional vulnerability to communication to physicality to everything. You grow up with that. Your whole outlook on life is changing. Your possibilities are wide open and different right? That, it needs to happen on those levels. I just think it's so, like, it's just so bizarre because it's so obvious that, like, the shaming doesn't actually work. This is something that I just find really, I I, I keep talking, I keep coming back to this because I'm like, it's so shoved down our throats, but it doesn't work. Well, actually, it does work because we do everything that we want to do. It doesn't stop people doing things. It just does them in in silence in quiet yeah. and it means that the people the elders in the community for example never have to deal with it that's what it does and that's why they don't do it because they're like i don't want to do this fine well i guess it works on that level but in terms of actually stopping the behavior or stopping whatever then no and it just makes it happen in like a dirtier more insidious mm. more toxic more dangerous more all the bad words that you can think of way absolutely i'm like let's uh let's try a different approach (laughs) yeah like why not you know this one's obviously not really quite working out exactly so yeah it needs to happen in those ways please god i think i'm gonna quote you to finish um which i always find really cringe on both sides of this but you basically said the bad behavior of men happens in the silence of women and if we can keep methodically breaking that silence, we can change things. Absolutely. You've got to keep chip chipping away. Exactly. You know, and, and I say this all the time, that silence has been the language of womanhood for so long. Men get away with everything in our silence, in our, oh, yeah, let's protect it. And, oh, I don't want to look bad. In that. Silence is such a powerful weapon. They say silence is golden. For who? <laughs> Silence is golden for men. It's brass and copper for us. It's not golden. Yeah, Yeah, for real. Honestly, you're one of my very favorite loud women. So I really appreciate you and the work that you do. Likewise, the feeling is very mutual.
Thank you so much for your time. I really always love chatting with you. Thank you for asking me. I always feel very privileged. Bye. Wow. Salma dropped so many gems in this conversation. I hope that if there happens to be anyone who's listened throughout the season so far and was still unconvinced somehow that shame is a bad thing, they've now firmly been righted. Next week, we're approaching the end of the season, so we'll be talking about how to get the fuck over shame and how to form our own values. For this, I'll be speaking with Saudi-born singer Rotana, who has much to share on that front. Here's a snippet from next week's conversation. I always see this visual of a wolf calling out in the night and for a while, no one's there, by the way. You have to be willing to go through this phase where there's nothing around you and everyone's gone and it feels like, fuck, man, I I fucked up. But you keep sending the call out and then like all these wolves from all around the world were just like howling back and I, I would not have found them had I not sent the signal. I'm Alia Moro, and you've been listening to Talk of Shame, a Wemina production supported by our sponsor, BetterHelp. Sound designed by the talented Nicholas Alexander. Special thanks to Wemina producers Amira Ahmed, Elisa Friha, and Rhythma Ekinayaki. Thanks to everyone who submitted voice notes for this week's episode. Follow me at Alia Moro and at Wemina to submit your thoughts for future episodes. We'll be dropping questions every Saturday. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, download, and review. It really does help get the word out there. Talk to you next week.